All right, if you would, let's go once again to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, we're going to continue our series through the book of Proverbs, and we will be looking this morning at verses 11 through 16. Um, However, our primary focus and attention will be on verses 15 and 16. Uh, So I will uh, make comment on the other verses, 11 through 14, but our text primarily will come through verses 15 and 16. I do want to draw your attention uh, to verse 15, and we'll uh, read that for our subject this morning. It says, It is joy to the just to do judgment, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. Our subject this morning is joy to the just. In the scripture reading this morning in Isaiah 9, we saw that word being used repeatedly about joy. And we saw uh, even in the joy that, is, uh, that has been multiplied, uh, the joy that has been demonstrated that there was no joy in that nation, even though God had stretched out his hand. And of course, this time of year, when we think about joy, uh, the world has various definitions of what joy is, what joy brings. And you'll notice that the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says that joy to the just is to do judgment. In other words, where the just man or woman finds joy is in judgment. They find joy in the pleasures of God. They delight in God's Word. They delight in not only His Word, but they delight in the law of God. Uh, They delight in His mind, and they find joy in the inward man. They find true peace. They find true, what we'll call, biblical happiness and satisfaction. We know that our joy is not the result of our circumstances. Our joy in the Lord is a result of the Holy Spirit reminding us of our standing in Christ. It is also the Spirit that allows us, gives us the power and the strength to observe the commands of God and also to love the law and commands of God. Again, if you look at that verse with me, and we'll come back to this in just a few moments, but you'll notice that those two first words of verse 15 are in italics, depending on your translation. I'm assuming that you all have this. It says it is. Those words in italics are added to give us, uh, just to give a greater emphasis and therefore an understanding. But uh, even without those words, the phrase and the expression certainly reads exactly the same. Joy to the just. To do judgment. That's where joy is found. Uh, What does it mean to do judgment? It means that we find great delight. We find great pleasure in justice being done. Uh, We find joy in justice being done between brethren. Uh, We find joy in finding people dealing with one another in a proper manner, in a proper way. Uh, We find joy even in the laws. Uh, We find joys not just in the love and the laws of God, but even the laws that govern a land. Uh, We realize that the laws are given to us in order uh, to bring order amongst chaos. Uh, And I know we're living in a day and age when the the shouting is getting louder uh, that we want a lawless society. 
I can assure you, you do not want a lawless society. I can assure you that that's the direction that we're attempting to head, is do away with laws, let man do what's right in his own eyes, and scripturally, you can read the book of Judges and find out where that leads you. It leads you to a place where nobody wants to be. But the just, it's a joy to you and I. The law of God is a joy. The laws that govern a land are a joy. They are things that demonstrate that there is an order. Now again, you'll notice the second part of verse 15, much as the Proverbs 21 is, and much the book of Proverbs, it's a compare and contrast. In verse 15, it's joy to the just to do judgment, but on the other hand, destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. On the opposite of the joy of the just are those who are workers of iniquity. A worker of iniquity is one that finds their satisfaction they make it their vocation to actually sin. Their whole life is a series of continual sin. They are finding ways to commit sin. They're constant at finding ways to sin. Another characteristic of a society that wants to be lawless is also demonstrated by a society that wants to invent, create, and commit all types of of sin. Now we like to sadly simply just say, well, maybe people were just sinning in ignorance. Man sins with intent in his heart. Man sins because he is a sinner. But the worker of iniquity, as a contrast to the joy of the just, is one that is promised at the end of their work, at the end of their sin. There is nothing but destruction. Now, destruction, of course, is the opposite of joy. I'm thankful this morning that that verse does not say it is destruction to the just. I'm thankful this morning that God is not giving me what I truly deserve. I'm glad that God has allowed me to have joy instead of having an eternal punishment in a very real place called hell for all of eternity. That alone ought to bring joy. It ought to bring joy to us to know that God is just. And because of His righteousness and because of His acts of justice, you and I, of course, um, are secure. Destruction can also be defined by a couple of words that are synonymous with the word destruction. The word destruction um, also means the word terror. Um, Although the worker of iniquity right now does not see the terror or the destruction that their sin will bring, even now there is a terror that is upon them. Of course, to be in destruction and terror is the exact opposite of being joy, joyful and peaceful. You see, compare and contrast, you see there's differences in what the just experience and then, of course, what the worker of iniquity does. The joy and peace that you and I have found in Christ in comparison to the destructing terror for all of eternity to the worker of iniquity. Again, contrasting two individuals. It is a joy for a just man to see things put into motion. Even the law, Romans 13 tells us that even our authorities that are given over us it's good laws to us. That is a means of just work. 
But Romans 13 also says, but to the evil, the law is a terror. But it's not a terror to the believer. The believer understands the purposes of not only God's laws, but understands the laws of a society. So with those thoughts in mind, and again, we'll come back to them and, and elaborate a little bit more. I want to look at these next few verses uh, in a very, very quick fashion. Now, it's not that these are not important, but I believe these verses go together uh, with the concept of what the joyful or the person who is, has joy that is just the actions in which they will live by. So first of all, we notice in verse 11 that it is joy to the just to be instructed, to be instructed. Notice again a compare and contrast. When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. And when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. Uh, one of the aims of punishment, one of the aims of having consequences for actions are to put off that action, to correct behavior. In other words, when a child does wrong, uh, you are not being cruel or mean to that child to punish that child in a biblical manner. Now again, you're doing it out of love and you're doing it to correct the behavior. That's the most loving thing a parent can do for a child. Somehow we lose sight of that, that when we become adults, we think, well, my actions don't need to be corrected or I don't need to be punished. I hate to break it to us, but we probably need as much or more correction than our children do. Now, I know we think we reach adulthood and, and young people that are here today, I hope you understand that turning a certain age, turning 18 does not make you mature or wise. It does not make you as to arrived. No, it is the wise individual who receives instruction he doesn't scorn at it he receives it now listen whatever form of instruction you receive whether it's in means of a reward or a punishment a just person a wise person learns from that correction you learn from your mistakes every adult that has some age on them here this morning realizes your life has been a series of many many mistakes your life has been littered with mistakes that you've made with things that you've done wrong times when you didn't receive instruction times when you thought you were wise enough in your own eyes and yet we still can learn from all of those mistakes we can continually learn, even from mistakes we've made decades ago, if need be. The wise man learns from those mistakes. He learns by reflecting upon life. And some of you today, again, I mean this as respectfully as I can, have more years of reflection than I do. You have more years that you can look back and reflect on mistakes and situations and times that have happened and things that have arrived in your life. And yet, we are to learn from these things. We're to learn from our mistakes. Jerry, can you get the door, please? I think somebody's standing out there. Thank you. So the very best thing that we can do is to be instructed. Now, verse 12, notice he goes on, and with the same line of thought, the righteous man wisely considereth the house of the wicked, but God overthroweth the wicked for their, notice this, wickedness. So secondly, it is a joy to the just to avoid evil. To avoid evil. 
the very wisest thing we can do is that when we observe evil is to avoid the appearance of it. To avoid even putting it before our eyes. Again, I think we understand that many times that, that we try to encourage and help and correct our children. We tell them, don't put those things before your eyes. And that when they are not watching and they're not looking, we set that before our eyes. We say, no, I'm an adult. I can handle that wicked thing being set before my eyes. As respectfully as I can say it, you can't handle it any more than they can. Somehow we've thought that children can't handle evil, but that we as adults can. That it's just going to kind of bounce off of us, if you will. Kind of a crude expression, but it's not just going to bounce off of you. If it's evil, it's evil. If it's unwise, it's unwise. And yet, we need to avoid that. Now, we do know that scripturally we are told to not set wicked things before our eyes. But a lot of what is our problem is the path that we're taking and the, 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 the journey that we're making. In Psalm 37, verse number 3, or verse 1, it says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Now, we just talked about the workers of iniquity and the opposite, the opposite eternity that's facing them. And David in Psalm 37 is making reference to this exact thought. He says, don't fret or be, be jealous or envious because of evildoers. Don't envy workers of iniquity. Now, David writes this as sure as the sun may come up again, right? For they shall, this is the evildoers, the workers of iniquity, shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust, there's a big word, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I can remember, I can't remember how many times throughout various times in our life, either teaching our own children or teaching children in, in church settings, uh, we, wanted to, we wanted them to commit Psalm 37 and think about those thoughts. Trust in the Lord, commit thy ways unto Him. And we, we teach them and teach them and teach them. And yet, as adults, that verse is not just a children's verse. These are the ways that a just man walks we find out that God has given us the way and that we are not to fret, not to be anxious or jealous over the evildoer, the worker of iniquity, because that's not where our joy is found. If you're finding joy in the wicked and you're finding joy in the evil, it's reasonable to question your own walk with God. If the things of this world and the evil things bring you joy, it's reasonable to question your faith. It ought not be so. The entirety of Psalm 73, which we read on Wednesday evening, the entire basis of the psalm 
is a psalm of Asaph, and he is wrestling with the idea is why are the wicked seemingly getting away with everything, and why are the wicked seemingly happy? Again, ask yourself the question. What are they finding joy in? But there's a verse in Psalm 73, in verse 17, the psalm for 16 verses, he's struggling with this, he's wondering, why are the wicked winning? And then in verse 17, it says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? He goes on and then he says his own heart was grieved by his thoughts that I'm missing out on something. That's an acronym in our society, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. You're not missing out on anything. You're not missing out on the wickedness and the evil of this world. That's not where your joy is going to be found. And yet, Scripture after Scripture, we're reminded of this. Psalm 73 ends by saying, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. So we see that the joy to the just is to avoid evil. That's Proverbs 21, verse 12. But then verse 13, he gets even more practical. It's a joy to the just to give. In the book of James, James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, James writes, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? James, writing from a very practical perspective, says, What good is it if you see a brother or sister in need, they don't even have daily food, and all you do for them is say, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. In other words, I hope someone else takes care of your problem. He says, what does it profit if all you do is just give them a warm feeling as they leave? He says, no, it ought to be a joyful thing to give. You realize it's possible for an entire church and even a church like ours to be so complacent that we don't even hear the cry of those who are in need. That's what he says. He says, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. It's kind of the saying, what goes around comes around. If you stop up your ears to the need, when your need comes, you won't be heard. Again, that ought not be so with those who are just because the joy is found in justice being done and needs being met. Now, we are not talking about a society that is also that wants to become lawless, but also wants to become lazy and also wants to become everything in the world handed to them. That's not what he's talking about. Those who are genuinely poor, those whose circumstances have put them in a place where they, they simply cannot help themselves. It's not catering or compromising to this handout society we're living in. And again, young people have got to be instructed to work and to work hard. 
to not buy into the lie of society that the best way is the easy way. The easy way is not the best way. And sometimes us parents and adults, we're handing life to our children on a silver platter and you're not helping them, you're harming them. They need to understand what it is. God demands and commands His people to work. If a man will not work, he shouldn't eat. We need young people who actually want to work. And kids are going into jobs and somebody's willing to pay them and they, they're there for five minutes and they say, this is too hard. And they go home and they tell mom and dad and mom and dad say, oh, that's okay, honey. We'll just take care of it. You're not helping them. Listen, this, this reaching out and caring for the poor and the needy, this is completely different than a society that just simply says, look, just sit back and let everything else be handed to you. But we do have an obligation to hear the cries. Those who are just, those who are in Christ, we ought to be listening for the cry of the poor and not just wishing them well as they pass by the front of our house, actually doing something about it. Verse 14 is very interesting because there's, when I was studying through this, there's, there's really two different approaches to this. And I'm, I'm going to take one of the two approaches. And uh, you may have heard the other approach, and that's okay. We can discuss that later. But look at verse 14. It says, A gift in secret pacifieth anger, and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. Now, there's a, there's a, a little bit of a disagreement between commentators who every one of them, I would say, I don't have a... I'm not offended by the direction there. But uh, many of them are dealing with the idea of a bribe. They're dealing with the concept of giving a bribe to have an action done. Uh, in other words, give something to uh, stimulate action, what you want to have happen. Now, there's also the other side that talks about that if a man is angry at you and a man is upset with you, the best thing to do is to just pull him aside and give him a gift to pacify him, to just keep him satisfied. But think about bribery. Think about what bribery can entail. Uh, sometimes, again, you can tell my mind has been on our young people this week and that's why you're hearing it today and that's why you're going to hear more on Wednesday that's what's been coming not just our young people but young people in general and the concepts that are that, that we're seeing in our society the things that we're seeing happen what's happening right before your eyes you are seeing these characteristics that are alive and well your children are being exposed to it your grandchildren are being exposed to it bribery is anything you do to stimulate an action do you remember when parents, and again, I'm not trying to offend anybody here. This is not directed at anybody here. But do you remember when parents parented without bribing? Do you remember when parents actually would say and would understand that this is not about me just pacifying your fit? And that if you'll stop crying, I'll give you a cookie? If you'll stop slapping mommy, I'll, give you a, I'll take you to McDonald's? Folks, that's not parenting. It's not parenting. 
It's a bribe. If you have to give to stimulate response or obedience, that's a bribe. Parenting's not bribery. You know how many bribes go on in our government? You know how many bribes are going on in our schools? You know how many bribes are going on in our churches? You know how many churches are bribing people to come to church with the promise of a gift? A gift. I'll, we'll tell you about the greatest gift. The greatest gift that's ever been given to the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that there's a remedy for your sin. That if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But we're not bribing. Bribery to stimulate or to quiet something, right? Somebody, uh, if I give you this, then we won't come forward with this information that we have. Now, let me be very clear. There's a, there's a difference between, a very fine line between a legitimate encouragement and a bribe. One man put it this way, you go into a restaurant and you are waited upon and that waiter or that waitress, they provide great service. You give a tip. That's a simple, very simplistic illustration. That's not a bribe. That's an encouragement. Parents, you can actually use encouragement. Just don't bribe them. The reality here is the, different, the easiest way to distinguish the difference between this is if you reward a completed action, then it's in order. But if you are rewarding in order to stimulate action, that's a bribe. In other words, they're not going to do it unless you bribe them to do it. <laughs> that's not the way of the just. Rather, that's the way and the workers of iniquity would do it. So again, that brings us back to where we started in verse 15. Now, as we stated in our introduction, notice it says the joy of the just is to do judgment. It is the fulfillment of the righteousness of God. They delight in doing God's law. They delight in following his, obedience, his, following his uh, commands. It's not burdensome to follow God's ways. We delight in it. And again, the warning, but destruction. What does it mean to fulfill righteousness? To fulfill righteousness is to do God's work in a proper way. It's to do it God's way. The opposite of joy is what's mentioned there, as we mentioned in our opening it's the fear of falling into the hands of an angry God. No matter how much the sinner in the world denies that there is a God and there is a judgment to come, there is a judgment coming. And one day, sadly, we take no joy in this. The conscience of that hardened sinner is going to awaken and will awaken at a time that's much too late. You see, we have joy in the righteous things of God. Not the evil things. We're not fretting after the evil. We're not fretting after the wicked. We're not trying to use the things of the world to draw people to come to the things of Christ. Which is another popular avenue. Let's take, again, steps on the toes this morning, 
I apologize, maybe. Right? So let's take a wicked thing on a screen and let's use that as a hook for the church. They'll relate to that. Is that how it works? <laughs> or do we believe what the Word of God says that faith cometh by hearing? And do we trust that it is a man must be drawn by the Spirit of God? He doesn't need our ploys. He doesn't need our hooks. He doesn't need our entertainment. We don't have to find a new way. We just simply proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not going to find ways to entice the worker of iniquity to find the joy that the just have. Now notice we didn't talk about verse 16, but this kind of wraps this up. The joy to the just is understanding. Again, look what he says in verse 16. He says, The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Let me just read that again. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. What this man does is he moves away from the ways of God, the Word of God, wanders away from the house of God, wanders away from where the saints are assembled, wanders away from where the gospel's being preached, wanders away where the ordinances are being administered. And instead of attending to those things where he might gain some understanding, and might gain some spiritual discernment, he wanders out into the field and he wanders into bad company. So generations of young people have done that. Generations of adults have done that. They've wandered away from the things of God and then we wonder how did they end up in the company that they now keep? Because they wandered away from the things of God. Folks, understanding is found in God's Word. I don't understand why this happens, but oftentimes that which we need the most, which is God's Word, the assembly of God's people, the encouragement that's come, the, thir the first thing that begins to fail in our life when we start to wander is just the assembling together. It's, it's the first, and that's not the first step. Your mind and your heart started wandering long before you stopped attending the assembly of the church. People are now just content to do their own thing at home. They just forsake the assembly and say, listen, I, I don't need that. We all need that. You need more than just you and your Bible sitting at a, at a kitchen table with a cup of coffee. That may be part of it, but that's not all of it. You are missing the joy that comes from belonging to a body of believers who come in every week with the same issues and the same concerns and the same sorrows and the same joys. And if you isolate yourself you will wander away. And you'll say, but I had my home devotions. Folks, you can mark my words. You will wander away. 
We wander out of the way of understanding. We are surrounded daily with people who are out of the way of understanding. So when we fret over what the workers of iniquity are doing, remember, they are out of the way. They're not going to do things that are of the light. Jesus Himself said, they hate the light. They love the darkness. We go into the world and we wonder, why is it so dark? Because they're out of the way of understanding. The reality here is, is that the wandering leads to bad company. It is a big deal. It is a big deal who your children keep company with. And you should know every single friend that they have. Even when they say, what, you don't trust me? That's intrusive. Yes. You should know where they're going. You should know where they've been. You should know how long they're going to be there. Even when they say, you don't have any right to ask me those things. And yes, even when they turn the magical age of 18, yes, <laughs> you still. You see, the reality is, is bad company, the Bible says, it corrupts. Who you wander away to will lead to a wandering away from God if it is bad company. Again, that's not just true for our young people. Folks, I've been at it long enough. I've watched adults who were, I don't know what other word to use, who we would say, now that's a, that's a pillar of godly strength. I've watched them crumble. And it started with a little bit of wandering. Just a little bit of wavering. And before you know it, they're keeping bad company with another person who wandered. And now, they sit in a relationship that they say, God's blessing this. No, He's not. You see, the reality is, is we wander away out of the way of understanding and we get ourselves to the place where we're no longer going to find the joy that the just man and woman finds. You're only going to find what the writer of Proverbs says, He's like the sheep that goes astray. Where shall He remain? In the congregation of the dead. In other words, he will remain among those that are spiritually dead, dead in trespasses and sins, such as one like himself, such as ones that continue to be, if he does not hear and get into the Word of God. He will be numbered among those who die the second and eternal death. He'll be among the damned in hell. I know we can be victim of present circumstances, and I realize that sometimes when we look at things, we say things have never been this way. Things have never been as they are. Sin has always been in the world. Sin's always been a problem. But I do believe with everything in my heart and everything that I speak of this morning that we need to be very, very careful. And we need to be more diligent than we've ever been. Not just about what our children are doing, our grandchildren are doing, but what we're doing. The example, parents, that you're setting for your children does matter. 
it matters. What you put up as important matters. What you show is a priority in your family, it matters. And from a time a child is born, again, we'll talk more on Wednesday about this, the time that child is born, you ought to be putting the, putting the word of God around them and in them. You say, they can't understand. If I had a dime for every time someone told me children can't understand even what's going on here, I'd be a very wealthy man. They do understand. And they are hearing the Word of God because the Word of God is not reliant upon whether I say it. It's the Holy Spirit working in effectual power in your kids' lives. That's the only comfort we have is knowing that if I will raise them up in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord, God's doing the work, but we are to put them in the right way and guard the way that they go. Let me close just by simply indicating that I believe the Proverbs are not just a, a, a collection of pithy sayings. They're not just good ideas. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the doctrine and the practical application in the Proverbs is astounding. Absolutely astounding. And it comes primarily from the pen of a man under the inspiration of the Spirit who tried out everything in the world. And he found nothing but vanity. Listen, the prayer of our church and the prayer of all of us, even if you do not have children, should really be for the prayer that our children will be saved and that they would walk in the right way. And that God would save them at the appropriate appointed hour. But that we would also be examples of people who walk as just people walk. With the joy of the Lord, the joy of our salvation, and realize that we're not missing anything by not giving in to the culture and by walking the way the world walks. We're walking in the way of the just, which is the way God wants us to walk. Well, let's pray together and we'll close with a hymn. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. And Lord, these are challenging portions of Scripture. And Father, no doubt there are many other things that could have been said, but Lord, we know that it is you who must give the word and you that must give the application to the Spirit. But Father, I do pray this morning that we have all been convicted in our own life and challenged to look at our own walk, to consider our own ways, and to even ask ourselves the question this morning, are we joyful? Are we finding joy in doing judgment? Are we finding joy in doing things that your word commands? Or Father, have we found ourselves looking to this world and its darkness to find our joy and our peace and our contentment? Father, may that never be the case for your children. Lord, help us now through the Spirit to apply these truths to our heart. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll